we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 you don't really feel the need to learn the names of some of these guys because you sort of know they're not going to be around for long. That's just what history has told us that, oh, new OC. Okay. He'll be here for a year. I'll learn his name until I learn the next one's name next season. But with this new coaching staff, and we don't know the the exact titles because they haven't been made official yet, but we can do some deductive reasoning here. I do think we're going to have to learn these guys' names because I do think they're going to be here for the long haul. Again, looking at the history of Lance Leipold and the staffs that he's assembled at not just Buffalo, but at Wisconsin-Whitewater before that, stability, continuity has been a common theme here. Brian Borland, let's start with this name first. Brian Borland, as of yesterday, last sometime yesterday, his Twitter profile read, Brian Borland, defensive coordinator. I think Jesse Newell actually got a, a screenshot screen job of it. That's what you got to do. You got to get the screen cap because it could change. It said Brian Borland, defensive coordinator at the University of Kansas, hashtag Rock Chalk Jayhawks, location set to Lawrence, Kansas, with the uh, link in the bio of KansasKUAthletics.com slash football. Right? That, as Jesse put it, seems pretty official. (laughs) Defensive coordinator for the University of Kansas. Well, if you go to Brian Borland's Twitter page right now, it says defensive coordinator. (laughs) That's it. Not defensive coordinator of any said school, no location, no link, no hashtag rock chalk. So somebody at some point said, hey, little bit early to be uh, doing that. But the flip side of that is DJ Elliott, who as of last week was the defensive coordinator for KU. Just says Coach Elliott with a picture of him at Kentucky in his profile picture and a picture of him at Colorado in the background picture. So nobody seems to be wanting to link themselves to the defensive coordinator position at Kansas. Or maybe somebody does, but somebody else said, hey, we can't do that quite yet. I don't know what it means. I'll tell you this. Brian Borland's going to be the defensive coordinator at Kansas. You know how I know that? Not because of anything on Twitter. Not because of anything on the KU Athletics website. I know that Brian Borland is going to be the defensive coordinator at Kansas because Brian Borland has been the defensive coordinator for Lance Leipold for 14 seasons. That's right, 14 seasons. Six seasons at Buffalo, and then eight seasons before that at Wisconsin-Whitewater. He was actually the D.C. at Wisconsin-Whitewater from 2002 to 2014. So he was a defensive coordinator before Lance Leipold got there. He was winning national championships with Wisconsin Whitewater before Lance Leipold got there. 
In fact, he had been with the school since 1994. From 94 to 2001, he was the defensive backs coach. Find me anybody at any level other than... No, because not even Monty Kiffin would apply because he kind of went from job to job too there. Find me someone with just a more consistent track record, not just of I've always been at this school or I've always held this title. But the dude was at Wisconsin Whitewater as the DB and then the defensive coordinators, defensive coordinator for 21 seasons. Why would a guy who had spent virtually his entire coaching career at one spot want to leave with a guy who he'd only worked with for seven or eight seasons? Because in 2014, when Lance Leipold took the Buffalo job, Brian Borland, after 21 years in Whitewater, chose to make the leap with him and follow him to Buffalo. Here's what he said at the time when he left. Quote, I grew up here. My parents still live here. One of my sons is still going to be here. We've got real strong roots. Yet the time is right if I want to do something like this. I'm not looking forward to leaving the area, but I am looking forward to the opportunity. Right? This is a guy who was entrenched, but yet the opportunity to go coach with Lance Leipold was too attractive to pass up. And it, it it is not like Lance Leipold was the only person who would have given him a job. Again, look at the track record there. 12 seasons as the defensive coordinator for Wisconsin Whitewater. They won 153 games. 153 games in 12 seasons with him as the defensive coordinator. That guy could have gotten jobs elsewhere. But he went to Buffalo, did a really good job at Buffalo, and now I feel pretty confident he is going to be the next defensive coordinator for the University of Kansas. And I think that's an overwhelmingly positive thing. Here's more of what he had to say back in 2014. Quote, one of the most exciting parts is that I'm not going there by myself. I'm going there with a group of guys that I know and I love. That kind of makes it special. So I'm very much looking forward to that. This seems to be some interconnectivity within a coaching staff that I'm not sure I've ever seen before. 14 years, Brian Borland has been the defensive coordinator for Lance Leipold. How about on the offensive side of the ball? I believe Andy Katelniki is going to be the offensive coordinator. The only thing that's a little bit different about that is that Katelniki was at Wisconsin Whitewater for, I believe, two seasons with Leipold and Borland before following Leipold to Buffalo. But in 2017, so the third year in Buffalo, Jim Zabrowski was hired as the quarterback's coach and the co-offensive coordinator. He was the quarterback's coach at Minnesota from 2011 to 2015. Had some success there. They hired him, and that's sort of at the same time when uh, the offense really started to improve. The team as a whole started to improve. They went two and ten in year two. After that, six and six, ten and four, went to three straight bowl games. You know the rest. So I don't know exactly how the roles are going to shake up because remember, there's still some names. Like there's still guys, some holdovers from the Kansas staff that I'm sure still want to be here. And uh, if we're to believe the reports from a football scoop, was that 
that was part of the conversations. I think uh, Max Olson of The Athletic re- reported this as well. Part of the conversations with these coaches with KU was that you need to retain a, a certain percentage of our staff members. So I'm sure now knowing that you've got a defensive coordinator in Brian Borland who you've been with in, since 2007. You, you've got an offensive coordinator in Andy Kotelnicki who you've been with, and I hope I'm saying that right name right. It's either Kotelnicki or Kotelnicki, and Kotelnicki sounds more natural. Why don't we just call him, because I don't think there's anybody that goes by this. Coach K. Coach K, yeah. Right, yeah, let's call, let's call him Coach K. Been with him since 2013. That screams continuity, and it's something that KU has been so sorely lacking. Like, those guys are going to hold those positions. They did not bring them over here to give them a lesser job. This is this kind of blew my mind, though. This blew my mind. The trio of Lance Leipold, Brian Borland, and Andy Kotelnicki are the only, meaning one, head coach, OC, DC trio in college football working at their third program together. There is not one other instance of it that I could find in all of college football. Because both those guys held the same titles with Leipold at Wisconsin Whitewater, left, followed him to Buffalo. He leaves again. They're following him again. What does that tell you? That tells you they love coaching for this dude. And it tells you they have an immaculate working relationship. They're because the three best friends anybody could have. They are the three best friends. And I'm going to go ahead. Like, we need to go ahead and start that now. Yeah. We need to start that now. Which one's Zach Galifianakis? Katelniki looks the most like him. <laughs> I'm, and maybe he's the funny guy. I don't know. Brian Borland looks like a defensive coordinator. He looks like a sort of no-nonsense sort of guy. Um, so no-nonsense, that would have to be Ed Helms' character. Right. And I guess that makes Lance Leipold Bradley Cooper. But that's true. He's the leading man, mm, yeah. right? He's the leading yeah. man. So it would make sense that, that that's the – but that's the that's the thing we're going with. These three guys are the three best friends that anybody ever had. Because how often have we seen, specifically here at KU, you hire an OC and then all of a sudden it's like, well, who's really running the offense? Because this guy seems to think he is, but this guy's sort of breathing down his neck. A uh, word from in, inside the program is they don't really get along all that well. I bet you that guy's going to be out of a job by the end of the season. They're going to fire him, bring somebody else in. Happens all the time. It happens all the time, even for successful programs. That's fine if you're successful and you're, you have the talent to overcome it. But at Wisconsin Whitewater and Buffalo and Kansas, you certainly don't. I've never seen anything like this. And there isn't anything like this. There's nobody else in college football who's doing this. I think there are just a handful of programs who have a, a, a trio of a head coach, an OC, and a DC who have even been together from two schools. I know one of them is Matt Wells, who left Utah State, brought his OC and DC with him to Texas Tech. I know the other one, or one of the other ones, is Bronco Mendenhall, who was at BYU, and he took his coordinators with him to Virginia. Um, there's a few more out there. I think there's like six in total. And they were one of the six, and now they're one of one. I love it, man. I love it for KU. And I think it's not just continuity from this is my coach. It's continuity from a schematic point of view. You're not going to constantly be changing your defensive and offensive schemes. This year, there, there's 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 flexibility and like we're going to do a little bit more of this because our personnel lends itself to that. 
But the idea that you're going to have a new coach come in and say, no, we're not running that offense. We're going to go from an air raid to an RPO. Now we're going to go to uh, zone read, zone runoff. Like, none of that's going to happen. Brian Borland talked about that, too. This is a, this is a quote from him back in 2014 about his sort of philosophy defensively. He said, quote, to me, it's the consistency of the scheme. When a guy comes in as a freshman, we're by and large doing the same thing when he's a senior. One thing I think we'd probably do as good as anybody is coaching technique. I think that's a lost art in some areas. We're not winning by inventing a new defense every week and blitzing everywhere. We're winning by coaching our guys, our scheme, our technique. What does that say to you? Player development. Player development. The reason why Lance Leipold didn't make recruiting a huge emphasis at his press conference isn't because they don't think recruiting is important. It's because they don't think it's the most important thing. Les Miles came in and put his rings on the table. David Beatty came in and talked about all the good recruits that he got. Kenny Hill, Mike Evans, Johnny Menzel, while he was at Texas A&M. Charlie Weiss talked about the decided schematic advantage. He talked about Tom Brady. He brought with him Dane Christ and Jake Heaps, two former five-star quarterbacks coming out of high school. He said, look at, all the, look at all the toys. Look at all my success and look at all the toys. Even Turner Gill talked about recruiting. We're going to recruit and we're going to recruit and we're going to recruit. He said like six times. I, I don't know if Lance Leipold brought it up once unprompted because that's not the tenet of what he's going to do at Kansas. And he knows that's never going to be the case. Because here's the thing, man. You're in the Big 12. It means you got Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, all right around you. And even the schools who aren't the elite college football school, they're still going to bring in, in most years, better recruiting classes than you are. So there's two ways to go about it. Do you want to be, do you want to do the same thing that everybody else is doing, just do it a little worse? Well, that's never going to work. You can go out and, and get the, the the four stars and get those high three-star kids and think that that's your way to, to have success. But if player development is not the guiding principle and philosophy of the culture that you're instilling, specifically at the University of Kansas, you will never have success. You will never have success. If you want to recruit on top of that, that's great. But what none of those three coaches could do when they they all they wanted to talk about was recruiting. All they wanted to talk about was recruiting. What none of them ever did on a consistent level was develop talent. And you don't develop talent on your own as a head coach. You do it with a good staff. And what better staff to help you develop talent than the same damn staff you've been working with for, in some cases, seven years, for some cases, 14 years. There's going to be no confusion about, okay, what's the game plan here? How are we going to, what should we, you know, is it technically, we want to focus more on this? Do we want to focus? There's not going to be any confusion there. Imagine what those, those coaches that I just mentioned, the last three, none of whom were sitting head coaches. So what did that mean? Les Miles. What did he do when he has Temple the staff? Oh, here's a guy I coached, and now he's a DB coach over there. Here's another guy who's a defensive coordinator from Colorado. He's going to bring his D-line coach. I want to pluck this guy from over here. I'm going to get this guy from over there. 
I'm going to get this former OC uh, uh, from, uh, where, where did he get Chip Lindsey from? He went to Troy. I don't know where he was at before that. Uh, Arkansas. Like Auburn? Auburn. Ar- yeah, he was Auburn. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to, oh, I'm going to go get this former OC from West Virginia, and I'm going to get this offensive analyst. I'm going to make him my OC. None of those guys had ever worked together before. And they didn't have a head coach who was with it enough to sort of be the guiding light to say this is how it needs to work. Not to say some of those guys weren't good guys. I'm just saying that there was no, there was no functionality of that staff because the guy in charge was in over his head. Same thing to be said about David Beatty. He was a wide receivers coach at Texas A&M. So what did he have to do? Went and plucked a bunch of different dudes from a bunch of different places. Once again, head coach in over his head. He didn't know how to establish a culture. Charlie Weiss just alienated people. Nobody liked working for him. Nobody liked working with him. Lazy. Never worked. This is not that. This is not that. This is a staff that's worked together. And there's going to be some holdovers. We don't know specifically. I'm sure we'll find out in the coming days. I have an idea of specific names. Like, for instance, I do not think Emma Jones is going anywhere. Uh, I don't think Quan Drake is going anywhere. But I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of guys lobbying for jobs. Because if you can get in with Lance Leipold, he's going to take care of you forever. He's going to take care of you forever. This is such an overwhelmingly positive thing for Kansas. And it doesn't at all mean immediate success. It doesn't mean that, oh, we're going to notice it right away, how much better this staff is than the previous one. But you'll notice it over the long haul. You'll notice it five years from now when we're talking about Brian Borland being in his fifth season as the Kansas defensive coordinator. We'll notice it five seasons from now when we're talking about Andy Katelnicki being in his fifth season as the offensive coordinator. That's when you're going to notice the benefits of having a staff that's been together for a long time and that's planning on staying together. We're going to talk more about this with John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant. He's going to join us coming up later this hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This episode is brought to you by Tommy's Express Car Wash. Join the Tommy Club. You can download the Tommy Club app and enjoy endless washing for one low price, Derek. That means unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane, which, by the way, I've taken advantage of. It's kind of like the the express lane on the highway. You don't necessarily like to lord over everybody else, but when you're zooming through and getting in to get your car washed first, like that's why it's called Tommy's Express, right? You get unlimited access to all their locations, unlimited guest service, and perhaps most importantly, unlimited happiness, Derek. And I think that's something that we just don't emphasize nearly enough in life. I'm looking at your car right now. I'm thinking it could maybe use a trip to Tommy's Express. What do you got going on later? Thinking maybe you should stop there on your way home. You going to at least consider it? I will absolutely be going to Tommy's Express car wash. Now, the, the outside of your car, the exterior, it does look okay. Where my concern begins is the interior of your car. Yeah. When you have I, a, I don't a think dog. I don't think the inside of that car has seen a deep cleaning in quite some time. No, when you have a dog, when you have a golden retriever, you got hair everywhere. And they have those vacuums that... You know, it's going to get out for you. So, yeah, I'm definitely making an appointment. Tommy's Express Car Wash. What I love about the the vacuums at Tommy's Express, the cord comes down from the top. So you're not having to try and wrap it around your car and getting yourself into a pretzel. No, very flexible vacuums. You want to go to the left side of the car, the right side of your car. You're perfectly good. Tommy's Express Car Wash. Wash, rinse, repeat. 
So I was doing a uh, little research this morning. I was finding out you know, over the past several years what reporters, writers, bloggers, anybody in the sports media sphere had been saying about Buffalo football, about Lance Leipold, but specifically these these two coordinators. Brian Borland, Andy Kotelnicki. And there wasn't much written about Brian Borland, mostly because his track record spoke for itself and he'd been very successful. But we talked about this a little bit yesterday. The offense wasn't great at Buffalo. In fact, it was pretty bad the first couple of years. The first two years, they weren't even in the top 100. Uh, year two, the year they went 10 and 2-10, and 10, they ranked 125th, according to Bill Conley's SP+. Um, and they were averaging just 16.5 points per game, which ranked 126th nationally. So I found this piece that is titled, and I'm not going to even say the, I'm not going to say the the name of the outlet. It's a blog. Uh, has the clock struck midnight for Andy Kotelnicki? It's funny reading these things five years after the fact, when you know, like I read that headline, I go, well, we know the clock didn't strike midnight. And <laughs> five years later, he just moved up a notch, right? He went from Buffalo to Kansas. Um I'll just read you some of this piece. Buffalo's scoring offense is in the bottom 2% of all FBS football teams. More damning is its first quarter offense, which averages just one point per game. That speaks to game planning and preparation. Does it? Do you know that? Okay. All of this falls at the feet of two people, Lance Leipold and Andy Katelnicki. It would be pure speculation at this point to fault one more or less than the other as this writer goes on to point all the speculation, to speculate and point all the blame at one of them. Um, They go on and on to say that, you know, I would never call, I hate calling for a coach to be fired, but, you know, somebody's got to answer for this. And by the end of it, they had given their, they had given their mock coaching staff. This is I'm not calling for anybody to be fired, but here's what I think the coaching staff could look should look like and it doesn't have Andy Katelnicki on it. It's funny just considering that you know, a 2 and 10 season, we've seen those types of seasons. Things look really bad and you do start to look around and say, "Okay, what's what's going on here?" Because, you know, in this piece, it it references that. It references the fact that I'll read it. Lance Leipold has shown a tremendous amount of loyalty to the men who coached with him at Wisconsin Whitewater. So much of this staff never held position coaching jobs at the FBS level, but they had done something amazing in Division Three. Some of these coaches, like defensive coordinator Brian Borland, have worked out. But this team is simply showing zero progress under Katelniki. What UB needs is a new offensive coordinator and to shuffle the deck so that Tyree develops to his full potential. That player, Tyree Jackson, is the quarterback. Uh, They didn't shuffle the deck. Andy Katelnicki remained the offensive coordinator, and in 2020, the aforementioned Tyree Jackson was the conference player of the year in the MAC. I don't say all of this to pick on this writer who I'm not even going to name or tell you where you can find the piece. You can find it if you search, if you're really that interested in it. I only say this because... Buffalo, at the beginning of the Leipold era, was in a similar situation that Kansas has found themselves in many times over the past decade, which is steeped in futility. 
And how many times have we gotten to the point where we said somebody's got to go? Somebody, you got to fire this guy. You got to fire that guy. You got to promote this guy. This guy should be your offensive coordinator. This dude has to stop calling plays. What's this dude thinking? Game management. It always happens. Because when you lose games, things look really bad. When things look really bad, guys look inept. That's when you start calling for people to get fired. I'm here to tell you right now. KU's not going to win a bunch of games next year. Like, they got the coach. I think they're in better hands. They're better now than they were two months ago. That's a fact. They are better off with Lance Leipold at the helm than they were with Les Miles. No questions asked. But that doesn't mean that the, all of a sudden they're about to start winning football games. Things are still going to they, they still have an offensive line that does not belong in a Power 5 conference. They don't. That offensive line is in trouble. And I don't know how much, how, how much you could possibly expect it to get better based off what we saw from last year. It's going to be rough still. We still don't know how much there is there at quarterback. I know, you know Jalen Daniels is a guy we're excited about, but I can't even sit here with a straight face and tell you that he is 100% going to be the starting quarterback. There's a lot of guys in that room. And with a new coach, new offensive coordinator, like nobody has any built-up equity. So to think that Jalen Daniels is still the favorite, the only way he would still be the favorite is if he is unequivocally the best quarterback in that room. And I can't say that based off the limited amount of snaps we saw him play last year. It's going to be an open competition. But that offense is going to stink. And there are going to be times... Somebody's going to call for Andy Katelnicki's job over the next two years. It'll happen. Not because it has anything to do with him, but because the offense is going to look bad. And that's what happens when offense puts up historically bad numbers. KU put up historically bad numbers last year. Year one's usually a pass. But year two, much like it happened in this case, at Buffalo are when people start getting impatient. What I'm here to tell you, though, and this is the positive side of this. If you are one of the people who at any point over the next two or three years is calling for a change at offensive coordinator, a change at defensive coordinator, I'll be the one to tell you now it won't happen. And that's a good thing. Lance Leipold is loyal to these guys. There's a reason they followed him from Wisconsin Whitewater to Buffalo, now to Kansas. You think Andy Katelnicki's following Lance Leipold to Kansas if he thinks Lance Leipold's going to fire him after two years? Same can be said for Brian Borland. The three best friends that anybody ever had. These guys are in it for the long haul. So if it takes two, three, four years to get it right, that's fine. But it will be those three who get it right in year three or year four or whenever that happens. It's not going to be, oh, let's shake some things up. I thought, yeah, you know, I thought he was the right guy, but, you know, it's just not working out that way. Leipold isn't built like that. I think it's, it's great. It may not make you feel happier when you're in the middle of a bad season next year, but over the long haul, just trusting the process, trusting the stability that this guy brings and the stability that you wanted, that all of us wanted to be brought to this program, it's an overwhelmingly positive thing. This segment is brought to you by Cyclozone Power Sports. You might have noticed something strange outside. There's a little more green in the yard. This grass needs a trim. And soon, Cyclozone Power Sports in North Topeka has a brand of riding lawn mowers made right here in the U.S. of A. They're bad boy mowers. They're zero-turn mowers, so they drive like a speedy little tank, and they're engineered to be strong, long-lasting, and easy to maintain. Turn a chore into something you love. Mow with an attitude with a new bad boy mower from Cyclozone Power Sports. John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant knows a little bit about coaching changes here at Kansas. 
How much does he know about this coaching staff that KU will be inheriting with Lance Leipold coming over from Buffalo? We'll find out next when he joins the show. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So now that the coaching search for KU's new head coach is over, a search that lasted just short of two months, KU now has a pretty limited timetable to get done what they want to get done with the early portions of this offseason. Lance Leipold assembling his staff now, I would imagine recruiting, specifically recruiting the guys already in the program, going to be chief amongst the tasks that he works on now that he can officially get to business as the KU head coach. Let's talk all about it with John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant, who joins us now on the show. What is the first order of business, the first task at hand for Coach Leipold now that he's officially on the job? Yeah, Nick, I don't know if there's one task you know, that you can throw out. Obviously he's got some, some things about, you know, he's going to have to, he said, he's going to start meeting with players one-on-one to know them, get to talk to them, uh, still fine tuning the staff. I still think that's a, a little bit of a work in progress. Although, you know, we've definitely heard of some names coming. So you've got that. And then, you know, before you know, Nick, they're going to have to have summer camps, uh, set up, which a lot of people are going to start in the early part of June. I, I don't know how they're going to work and stick with some of the official visits that were set. That that hasn't been talked about a lot, but there were some recruits that had official visits. I don't know how they're going to handle that if they'll want to slow play some of those and back off the official visits. So, I mean, this is all going to hit at one time. I don't know if there's one task right now that I could say, you know, is sitting there as the most important. Obviously, the players are big because – you know, you want to keep the players in the program because, you know, they spent two years recruiting high school football players, which, you know, no coach has done since Mangino. And some of those 2008, 2009 classes were the classes basically made up of high school football players. So they spent two years doing that and, you know, kind of taking the shorts, if you will, to build it right. And so there is some talent there in the freshman and sophomore classes. But two weeks ago, the NCAA, approved the one-time transfer waiver once again for this year. So, you know, a a kid can pack up, Nick, tomorrow. I mean, if he wants to leave, he packs up tomorrow. He's gone, and there's no penalty, and they don't have to sit out if they want to transfer. So that's obviously one of the things that's going to be at the top of the list is retaining players in the program. Well, guys are going to, so there are going to be some departures, right? That happens every time there is a coaching change. You've seen a lot of them at Kansas. Can you give us a little bit of perspective in terms of, okay, this number of guys leaving would be normal. This would be successful. This would probably be a little bit worrisome. Like what's sort of that, that range of guys who typically go? Well, I don't know with a coaching change like this, you know, this is such weird timing. Right. I mean, you know, you no no schools ever looking for a coach in the month of April. So there's no real precedence to know with the portal now and then looking for a coach in April. Now, it comes down to I think this I really believe this. You can limit the number of guys leaving the program. If there's some continuity. Okay, and and when you listen to Leipold, he has been very big on continuity, building culture, and that the kids need some consistency. I mean, some of these kids, I mean, just well, over the last 10 years, none of these KU football players have had any consistency. And I think Leipold and his staff are going to bring that. And from all indications, there's definitely going to be enough staff held over that I think can help 
keep some of those kids at KU that might have otherwise, you know, looked at finding a new home. Yeah, and that's got to be tricky too, right? To at least with the the hold the staff holdovers, and we don't know exactly what this staff is going to look like once it's complete. But again, if we are to use sort of history as a, as a guiding light here, what what how do the how do the coaches usually go about retaining staff members? Like, what is the criteria typically for saying, okay, these are the guys I want to keep versus these are the guys I'm going to bring in with me? Well, in this situation, again, Nick, you know, doing a search in April, I think there were some built-in advantages that Goff had, okay, and just the way the search played out and the timing of it. Number one, I can tell you for a fact that coaches who were looking at this job that were interested in, in the KU job, they did their homework, okay, and they had time to do their homework because once the movement started happening with Jeff Long and Les Miles. There were already coaches starting to look at the Kansas job. They were studying coaches on staff. They were studying the roster. So usually when you look at a coach search, these things happen in like late November and December, and they're fast. I mean, a lot of times you go out, guys are hired in seven to ten days because you need to get them in and you've got to recruit because your signing days in the middle of December. This one was different. Guys had a chance to prepare for this job for a while. They had a chance to study Kansas. I mean, Leifold, you know, he reaches out to Terry Allen, Mark Mangino, Glenn Mason. He had a chance to study the University of Kansas. He had a chance to reach out and do research on staff members. So I think he had kind of probably some some early notes in his head. And then he went in and he met with every assistant. Okay, and he got to hear them out and meet with them. So I think that when you talk about what's it come down to keeping an assistant, he's had time to do some research on this. Whereas in most cases, this thing happens quick because you've got, you know, 15 schools out there looking for coaches and and, and everybody's in a rush to get a coach. And this time around, it was different. We're talking to John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Something that really stood out to me, John, when you uh, listened to Lance Leipold speak at that press conference earlier this week, compared to the last three head coaching hires, really the last four ever since Mangino, Turner Gill, Charlie Weiss, David Beatty, Les Miles, all made recruiting one of, if not the biggest points of emphasis at their press conference when they introduced themselves to the Kansas fan base. That wasn't the case for Lance Leipold. That really stood out to me. What do you make of that? Well, I, number one, I think recruiting is important to them. Okay, it's incredibly important. I do think that they've gone about it differently. I think they trust their evaluation. If you go back, Nick, and look at some of the guys that they've had, I just talked to uh, Jarrett Patterson the other day, who is uh, just signed, I believe, with, with Washington. And he was a running back, and this guy, you know, he was setting records at Buffalo as a running back. And I interviewed him, and he said he was a gray shirt. Okay? So here's one of the best running backs that's played for Leipold and, and gone through Buffalo, and the guy was a gray shirt. So my point is with that, I think these guys, when it comes to recruiting, it's extremely important. But I think these guys are more into evaluations and fit and, you know, maybe a little bit of that blue-collar work ethic and I don't think these are the type of guys that you're going to sit here seeing 
oh, let's pull up the rivals.com high three star and low four star guys mm-hmm. and look who's out there. I think these guys are going to find out what kids out there want to play. We know they're going to come in here, give max effort, be good kids, high character kids. I think they're going to build this based off what they want to do. So I think recruiting is important, but I think it's important to the way they recruit. To your point, when you look at what you're dealing with at Kansas in the Big 12, where you've got programs like Oklahoma and uh, Oklahoma State and Texas and who are going to be bringing in those four and five star guys and classes littered with three stars every single year, focusing on on player development and and teaching these kids how to work. Doesn't it just feel like a necessity to have success at a program like Kansas? Yeah, you know, player development's big. Again, I know, Nick, when I've been on the show, we've always gone back and talked about the Mangino years because, you know, when you go back and try to figure out what's made Kansas football successful, I mean, there's not a lot of examples to look at. So when you go back and look at what he did, number one was evaluations. You know, they got, you know, what, Akeem Tlaib was a two-star kid. Anthony Collins was a two-star kid. He was a finalist for the Outland Award. And Daryl Stuckey was the lowest three-star kid. They had no offers. And, uh, you know, Chris Harris was a two-star kid. I I could go up and down that list of guys that were either the lowest three-star or the highest two-star player, okay? So, but they, they evaluated kids and said, this is the type of kid we need. Bill Young was down in Oklahoma, and he knew Chris Harris because he was down there, and he recruited his tail off. He built relationships with coaches, and people would call him and go, Bill, you've got to come down and see this Chris Harris. I mean, nobody's offering this kid, and we think he can play. So number one's evaluation of, of finding that kid that you think can succeed. And then the, the development, you know, Chris Dawson back at that time was tremendous at player development. And I mean, Anthony Collins went in as a defensive lineman and they moved him to offensive tackle. And next thing you know, he's a, an NFL draft pick. So when you go look at Buffalo, those are some of the things they've done as well. There are some parallels to what Leipold and his staff did at Buffalo compared to what Mangino and his staff did, you know, 10, 12, 13 years ago. So development is huge and, and finding that evaluation of the talent of the kids who are going to come in to work and be developed is right there with it. We don't know exactly what this staff is going to look like, John, but it, it does sound like there's going to be some, some names brought over from Buffalo to join Lance Leipold, including offensive and defensive coordinator from Buffalo, Brian Borland on the defensive side, Andy Kotelniki on the offensive side, but Brian Borland's been with him since 2007. Katelniki's been with him since 2013. These are guys who followed him from Wisconsin Whitewater to Buffalo. What does that tell you when you've got guys who have been with him for so long that are once again willing to follow him to his next destination? Well, number one, it shows loyalty, okay? But number two, more than that, in that, in that coaching profession, that is such a hard profession. I mean, guys are losing their jobs, all the time they're having to relocate their families. I mean, people don't know how hard that profession is. So that shows me, Nick, not only is it loyalty, but it's also all on the same page. They all believe in each other. They all have a system and they know that they can plug and play. They can all leave this school and go to this school and win. They can go to this school and they can go to this school and they can win. 
So it tells me more than anything, you know, it, continuity is something big that, that Leipold's talked about. And he, he's done it more, it seems like, with the players and stuff. But I look at it as the coaching staff, and I say, man, the continuity there with the guys that have been with him is impressive. So I think that's a big deal because they all know each other. They're not going to have to sit here and learn new systems. And, you know, they'll, they'll probably have to teach some of this to the, the guys that will be held over. But the guts of everything is in place for a pretty smooth and quick transition. Speaking of continuity, you just kind of touched on it there, John, but do you expect the continuity to exist in terms of schematics as well? I don't know how familiar you are with what Borland and Kentelnicki were running at Buffalo, but do you expect that to become the new norm? Because that's been something that has been sorely missing at Kansas, where it seems like year after year, especially on the offensive side of the ball, guys are having to work with new coordinators, new play callers, and learn new schemes. Yeah, you know, it, it, that that will be big, Nick, um, just for what these kids have been through. But, you know, I also look for them to change within their own systems as well. Like, you know, you and I talked about in 2018, they led the Mac in passing, and in 2019, they led mm-hmm. the Mac in rushing. Okay, so they're going to put a system in that can be altered when need be and not have drastic changes. You know, it, it, this is interesting that, we, we talked about this. I talked about this with some coaches um, who are division one coaches back when the coach search was going on, Nick, and you know, some names that were coming up with people, you know, there were some air raid guys and some passing guys. And, you know, I had a few division one coaches tell me that they said, you know, Kirby, that they need something different than coming in and trying to run air raid or spread hurry up. They said, that's what everybody else in the big 12 does. And they get, those schools that they're trying to compete against running the same offense, the other schools get better players. And I had several coaches say, Kansas needs to be able to run an offense that's a little different, but it can be changed. And that's exactly what they've done at Buffalo is they figured out to mold their systems each year around the talent that they have. And they've also shown the fact that they can make those transitions within year to year, which to me is incredibly impressive. Okay, then I'm going to put you on a spot before I let you go here, John. When you look at the personnel that at least we think Kansas is going to have for this upcoming season, what do you think that will lend itself to stylistically with this new staff? Well, I think that you're going to see a little bit more physical brand of football. I think uh, Fuchs, who I believe... I believe will be the offensive line coach. He was the guy that molded those lines at North Dakota State when they started winning national titles, and then he went with Paul to Wyoming, and then Leipold got him to Buffalo. I think you'll see an offense that's balanced. Okay, I think you'll see an offense that's going to be smart, and they're not going to put the defense in bad positions. And I think they'll try to probably choose some clock or use as much clock as they can to their advantage and, and not have their defense out on the field like the defense has been out on the field for, what, last six, yeah. seven years. It seems, like the, <laughs> it seems like the KU defense is always on the field, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. And I think you're right. There's there's uh, more that they're more intertwined than I think a lot of people uh, want to give them credit for. But I appreciate you because I, I know that's tough not knowing exactly who's going to be there and, and what the coaches are going to want to do. But John, it's always good to catch up with you. We appreciate uh, your insight and your analysis. So thank you so much for joining me today, man. 
All right, Nick, take care. Quick shout out to all of our sponsors, RCST Trivia, 23rd Street Brewery, Sporting Kansas City, Pella Windows, Toppling Goliath, CBD of Lawrence, River Rat, Print and Skate, Jayhawk Trophy, Hawaiian Bros, and the Lawrence Public Library. Our first matchup today brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, open for dine-in, carry-out, and catering. Outdoor Patio is a great spot to enjoy the warm weather. Try the Bill Self Mac and Cheese, the Haney Turkey Stack, or any of the great menu items. And don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery's beer, which you can get to go as well with their crowlers. So we've only got two days of matchups left, only four matchups total here in the Sizzling 16, two today, two tomorrow. We, it was really chalky up until the Sizzling 16, except for one little corner of the RCST trivia bracket, and that would be the bottom corner of the South region. I don't know, has the NCAA tournament ever seen a 14-15 matchup? That would be a good trivia no, question. No, it has not. You know that for a fact? Yes, because only <laughs> two 15s have ever gone to the Sweet 16. Oh, okay. Well, then there you go. So making history here on RCST Trivia, we've got a 14-15 showdown in the South region. Neither one of these guys, despite their low seeds, have answered a question incorrectly yet. The 14th seed, Zach, is 5-0 and on questions. The 15th seed, Landon, is 7-0. and So we are guaranteed an underdog, a Cinderella story for the great eight. And as you guys know, this is where the prizes really start to get good in the grade eight. Everybody who makes it to the grade eight wins an RCST hat, which I am currently sporting today. Courtesy of Adidas and River Rat Print and Skate. $40 to Hawaiian Bros, $25 to 23rd Street Brewery, and automatic entry into RCST Trivia next year. Let's welcome on our contestants yet again. First matchup of the day here on Wednesday, Zach and Landon. Zach, as a 14 seed, you've stormed into the sizzling 16. You're a newcomer to RCST Trivia. What's this experience been like? How do you feel now that you are just uh, one matchup away from making it to the round of eight? Uh, I feel good. You know, just starting to finally, I think, get our bearings, and get used to the lights and the attention, and you know, hopefully we can make something happen. You've kind of had a cool, calm, collected approach. I remember your very first question like three weeks ago was something <laughs> about who Allen Fieldhouse is named after. I don't know exactly what it was. You took your time, and I thought, oh, my gosh, this guy's going to get bounced on the very first question, yet here you are. So has it just been getting more more comfortable as you've progressed on? Yeah, I was so nervous. I, don't, I mean, you guys couldn't even see it, but I was literally standing below my Beware of the Fog banner, and <laughs> I just I couldn't think. Well, you've thought pretty well since then, 5-0, and oh, but you're taking on a 15 seed, despite the seed not to be overlooked, Landon. 7-0 and oh on questions so far. So an RCST trivia newcomer looking pretty seasoned. How are you feeling, man? Uh, you know, not too bad. I, I think the 7-0, and oh, I, I feel like maybe I've gotten a little bit lucky, but I feel, you know, luck is the residue of design. Some educated guesses in there. But uh, no, I'm feeling feeling pretty good moving forward, hoping to, hoping to take it to the grade eight. So the winner of this matchup going to be taking on a Titan. As we told you yesterday, Eric, the one seed, the third place finisher from a year ago, made it to the round of eight and also became the first RCST trivia contestant ever to get 30 questions right. He has passed the 30 question threshold. So there's like a Kentucky, North Carolina KU thing going for all time wins. That's what awaits whoever 
emerges victorious in this matchup. Zach and Landon, you guys know the deal by now. Nothing different from your last matchup to this one. Four difficulty tiers of questions. The questions will get progressively more difficult as you move throughout the rounds. You have 30 seconds to answer. Your timer starts as soon as I get done asking the question. And we will play you a five-second warning. When you hear this ticking sound, get something off. We've had a lot of people just not answering. I get it. You blank. You don't know what to say, but just say something. Give yourself a puncher's chance to get out of there with the right answer. Well, fellas, unless you have any questions for me, let's go ahead and get this thing going. Landon, you're still the 15th seed, narrowly an underdog. Do you want to go first or second? I would love to go second. Okay. Zach, first question's for you. All right. Zach, what team did Kansas beat in the 2008 National Championship game? Memphis. Memphis is correct. Landon, question number one for you. Who was the head coach of that Memphis team? John Calperry. All right, that was easy. That was simple. Let's step it up a notch. We're going back to you now. Zach, for question number two. Zach, the top four single-season scoring marks for KU are all held by big men. Fifth on that list, and the most for a wing with 777 points in the 1998 season was who? Pierce. Paul Pierce is correct. That was the final season for Paul Pierce at Kansas. Okay, Landon, back to you for your second question. Next on that list for single season scoring marks at sixth most in a season is the top guard at 753 points in the 2017 season. Who was it? Frank Mason. Frank Mason is correct. All right, great start, fellas. Knocking down both of your first two questions. We still have yet to get a miss from either one of these guys, but it's going to happen eventually. We're going to keep going. I don't care how long it takes. That's right. Get excited, boys. Round three of questioning here in the sizzling 16 of RCST Trivia. And Zach, we're going back to you. Things going to get just a little bit more tricky here. Zach, what's the name of the KU player? who led the team in steals per game in both 1999 and 2000 and is now a high school basketball coach. I know you said to always guess Manning or Wilt. <laughs> uh, what years? 1999 and 2000. Nick Bradley. Oh. Zach. Nick Bradford. Nick oh, Bradford. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. That is oh brutal. Oh, God. Was that just a blind guess? I thought the year, maybe. And then I was thinking, I know what I did. I was thinking Kenny Gregory at first, and then I just messed up the name. Whew. Wow. When I heard Nick Brad, I go, oh, my God. And then it was Lee. Oh, brutal. Landon, you've got a shot to secure your spot in the grade eight if you can answer this question correctly. And here it is, Landon. Seven of the top eight 
best single seasons for most steals per game at KU are Darnell Valentine and Mario Chalmers. Seven of the top eight belong to those two guys. The only other person to crack the top eight comes in at sixth most steals in a season at 2.59 steals per game in 1992. Who is it? Definitely not my wheelhouse for the era. How many how many steals per game was it? 2.59. Uh, Adonis Jordan. That is a go-to. That is a go-to for those early 90 seasons. I think that's probably been, I'm not picking any of that's probably been the most common answer given that has been incorrect. I don't even know if we've had an Adonis Jordan question. Maybe we need to throw some more on there. The correct answer, got the initials right, Alonzo Jameson. I almost said oh, him. Wow. Alonzo Jameson. Man, those were as you close of misses by both we got, people. We got Nick Bradley yeah. and Adonis Jordan. Yeah, you jinxed us. <laughs> All right, you're both still alive. Got that, got that miss out of the way. You both... Got your first miss. It was bound to happen eventually, but you're still in this thing. So, Zach, we're going back to you now. Zach, who was the last KU player to win Big 12 Freshman of the Year? Josh Jackson? Josh Jackson is correct, winning the award in 2017. Landon, we go back to you now. Landon, what KU player holds the school's freshman record for most points in a single game with 41 of them? Andrew Wiggins. Andrew, w <clears throat> Andrew Wiggins, West Virginia, back in the 2013-14 season. Okay. They didn't even win that game. That's right. That. that was the only game I remember where Andrew Wiggins was like, fine, I'll take over. Fine. All right. <laughs> There you go. You guys are back on the right track. Now, Zach, we're going back to you. Speaking of Andrew Wiggins, he only had one NCAA tournament win in his KU career. Who did it come against? I know they lost to Stanford. I have no clue. Um, this is a bad team. Central Come on, man. There's only 353 options out there. Yeah. <laughs> the correct answer, Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky. That was a close game, too. I think... Uh, didn't, didn't like Jamari Trailer have a big game in that yeah, one? Yeah, went off on the bench. Yeah. Okay, Landon, once again, you've got a chance to secure your great eight berth if you can answer this question correctly. Landon, who was KU's first-round opponent in the 2008 NCAA tournament? Portland State. Wow. 
That is correct. And Landon, just like that, the Cinderella story stays alive. I was going to say that no matter which one of you guys won. But for Landon, it's you. You are moving on to the grade eight. Would you have gotten the Eastern Kentucky one if I would have asked you that yeah, one? Yeah, actually, I would have. I was debating between Eastern Kentucky and New Mexico State because I knew they played New Mexico State the following year. Uh, no spoilers for maybe a future trivia question. But uh, okay. no, I, I would have went with Eastern Kentucky. So. Yeah, I saw the look on your face, Zach. I, that's a very noticeable look after doing enough of these when you just realize, I remember the game, but I have no clue who the opponent was. Kind of take me through what was going through your head there. Uh, I was flustered. I did. I couldn't remember at all. And uh, what's funny is I could have gone to the game and I chose not to because I, I was saving up to go to the Final Four. Mm. That stings. We've all been there. Yeah, that was. Uh, I believe that was in St. Louis uh, yeah. where, where KU was playing. Did you know the other question? Did you know uh, who KU's first-round opponent in 08 was? No, I think the only first-round opponents I remember are Bradley and Bucknell. Yeah, that's right. You only remember the losses, just like all the coaches say. They don't remember the wins. They just remember the losses. Those are what sticks with them. Well, it was a great matchup, guys. A Cinderella story had to come to an end. One continues to move on. Zach, you did great. In your RCST trivia debut, making it all the way to the Sizzling 16. Hope to see you back next year. And Landon, congratulations to you, man. We will see you in the grade eight. Thank you, guys. Good luck, Landon. RCST trivia brought to you by Toppling Goliath with a brewery and tap room located in Decorah, Iowa. Toppling Goliath features 10 of the top 250 beers in the world, according to Beer Advocate. That also includes three of the top 10, three of the top 10 world beers and six of the top 100. If you're not going to be making it up to Decora anytime soon, don't worry. You can order Toppling Goliath apparel and beer at tgbrews.com. So we now have two matchups set. Isaac and Ryan, a one seed, three seed going down in the Midwest. Isaac's still a Titan, but you no, know, Ryan, Ryan's been really good this year. Ryan is, I believe, eight and one this year, 13 and two overall. So that's a guy who was solid last year, not amongst the best. But what did he do? He applied himself. This You can tell. Some of these guys, and I'm not saying that some, that automatically makes them better, because I do think there's guys who would just probably rely more upon just their knowledge of KU. But you can tell the dudes who apply themselves. And that'll maybe become more of a storyline in the... In the grade eight, because once we get to the grade eight, I'm going to peel back the, the layers of the onion a little bit, get to know these these people as humans. They are humans. They're not just trivia answering machines. But Ryan's one of them. I'll just say that. Ryan's one of those guys you can tell put in the work, taking it very seriously, and it's paying off for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that should be a great matchup. And I mean, everybody who has gone against Isaac has, I think it's been a little bit of trepidation, like, oh no, what am I getting myself into? But then you psych yourself up once you get to the matchup, like, I'm going to be the guy to do it. I'm going to be the guy to knock him out. And so far, nobody's been able to do it. Well, I'll tell you this. It's because Isaac's good and he and he puts in the work. Mm-hmm. So unless you're going to work twice as hard as him, you better be really good or vice versa. Unless you are just yeah. the most naturally gifted KU trivia expert out there, you better be putting in work because he's pretty good and he's working. Mm-hmm. I know Ryan's working too. There's a couple others. I won't say their names until they win. I'm not going to say it today and then have them come up either today or tomorrow <laughs> and say, oh, yep, those guys, never mind. Okay. Well, what about the other matchup that we have set, which is now Landon with him moving on, taking on Eric? I mean, it's a 115 matchup. You don't look at that yeah, on, so on the here, bracket. Yeah. Here's the thing about Landon. 
Okay, this is interesting. Landon was not in the competition a year ago. If my math serves me correctly, we we have two guys who are into double-digit correct answers this year. One of them, no, excuse me, three guys. Three guys in double digits and one we're going to hear from because Andrew, who's coming up next, has 10. He is 10-0 and 0 so far this year. Two guys are at 11, and they're both 11-1. and 1. Isaac, our defending champ, 11-1 and 1 this year. Landon, now at 11-1 and 1 so far this year. So, as a 15 seed, now in the grade 8, a matchup against Eric, this is sort of the opportunity to get out in front of it because if he pulls off the upset, we'll say, wow, upset of the century, Landon, 15-seed newcomer, going to the, the, uh, the fabulous four, the phenomenal four. I think we had to change it to fabulous because it wouldn't fit on the graphic. The F4. Or I guess should we get ahead of it now and say? Should we get ahead of it now and say, okay, Landon is a force to be reckoned with. It's a small sample size. It's only three matchups, but eleven and one. There's only one other person to do that this year, and it's the defending champ. Should we speak his, or is or is that the game? Is that the prove it game? Is the matchup against Eric going to be the prove it matchup where we say, hey, you're good now. Yeah. You beat Eric, who is let me check. 31 and 1 all time. You beat him, then we can start having conversations about you being of the elite. Well, I, I mean, when I think about like next year, in next year's RCST trivia tournament, like where is Landon going to be seated? He'll be probably a two or three seed, right? And mm-hmm. if he wins this, then he'll probably be a one seed, right? So I don't know. You, you can't look at that name, the number next to his name when he's a first time participant because we didn't have the track record on him so yeah I I do take him seriously I do take him as kind of a force of nature and I do think that's going to be a great matchup as well yeah I'm with you I think that's going to be a really good one I think I think this one we're about to hear it's going to be really good too region of death Alex and Andrew because I'm looking at their numbers Alex Alex was in the this round last year uh, I believe last year Alex went like ten and ten and one. I want to say his only question he missed was the one that that got him bounced. But he's been really solid this year. Sixteen and two. Andrews twelve and one. Andrews twelve and one. And the only question he missed last year was because he answered before the question was done being asked, and it was the different context than what he thought it was. Got it wrong. He's back to his old ways, though. He comes back this year and is still doing it. He's still firing off the answers before I get done asking the questions. Are you worried that's going to eventually cost him? I don't know. He's like, you know who he is? He's Jimmer Fredette. His year he won National Player of the Year. I hope he doesn't take that as a negative. That should be a positive, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, Because he obviously flamed out in the NBA. But in college, National Player of the Year, BYU averaged like 30 a game. If you remember Jimmer Fredette, like as soon as he crossed half court, it was like launch zone. Mm-hmm. That is Andrew. It's like as soon as he's crossing half court, it's out. Quick trigger. There's a fine so, line between there's a fine line between being Jimmer Fredette say. and Marshall Henderson. Yes. And when you think of Jimmer Fredette, there was never a deep tournament run. So Jimmer Fredette, his last year, I think they went to the Sweet 16. We'll see if Andrew can prove he is more than Jimmer Fredette and get to the grade eight, unlike Jimmer Fredette was unable to do. Yeah, I mean, I'll put it to you like this. Um 
you know, Andrew could creep up into the top 10 all-time correct answers. I've been logging this. Three have separated themselves yeah, from wait, the Yeah, wait, what are our blue bloods, right? Every Everything needs to have blue bloods, right? Eric, Isaac, and Tate. Just those three? Not willing to go any further? Well, Liam got bounced in the second round, and he's still fourth all-time in correct answers with 20. But, you know, those guys, Isaac is is 28-2. and two. Tate is 24-1. and one. Eric is 31-1. and one. Liam, 20-9. and nine. And somebody else... I believe is going to cross the 20 answer threshold. It could be Andrew. If he wins and moves on, it could be Alex. Alex is right there. Alex is at 16 and two. So um, if he answers enough correctly and he, and he gets to the next round, then he'll pass the 20 threshold at which point we'll say, okay, are they in the same tier as Liam? At this point, you have to make it to a, f- a phenomenal four just to be considered Agreed. to be a blue blood. So the only four, that are even in contention are the four from last year. One of them's gone. I feel like Eric Isaac and Tate are shoe-ins at this point. They are all in the grade eight, not just to the sizzling 16, but made it to the grade eight. They are the elite tier. Now, more people can enter that tier. But as of now, it's just those three. It's volume, man, because you can have a good win. Like Landon, 11-1. and Chris Yerchik, we're going to hear from tomorrow, 11-1. and There's nothing wrong with that. That's a really good winning percentage. But let me see your winning percentage when you've answered 30-plus questions, right? Like a guy like Eric has answered two, three times as many questions as some of these dudes who are in the teens. So you got to do it over a sustained period of time. That's how Blue Bloods, you, don't, you can't have a good two-year run. You have a good couple of decades. Which is funny because this is our second year of this tournament. That doesn't matter. <laughs> Erroneous. All right, one more matchup today. That's coming up next. Could your business use a little push right now? Need help getting the word out there that you're hiring? Do you just want to let people know how great of a product you have? Well, you can advertise with Rock Chalk Sports Talk and or the Best of RCST podcast. For more information, contact D Johnson at gpmnow.com. That's D Johnson at gpmnow.com. RCST Trivia is brought to you by Pella Windows. Pella Product of Kansas is your one-stop shop for all your window and door needs. Pella offers everything from turnkey window and door replacements to experts in the field that can work with your contractor and find the perfect solution for that project to make your house feel like a home. Whether you're building a home, taking on a remodeling project, or simply want the best replacement solution, Pella Windows has all your answers. Stop by the newly remodeled showroom on the northwest corner of 6th and Wakarusa or call 785 749 Four eight zero eight. Don't hesitate. Appointments are filling up fast. All right, back we go to the region of death, which Derek dubbed. Now, in large part, it's the region of death because you've got a one seed, the runner-up from a season ago, Tate, as the one seed, and he's already advanced into the round of eight. But beyond that, once we got to the sizzling 16, we looked at all four contestants in that region, and we said any four of those could emerge, any four of those could go on to win the whole thing. So now... The winner of our next matchup has the pleasure of going up against Tate, who's only got one question wrong lifetime, and it was the one question he missed in the game ender of the championship round last year. Yet I'm looking at the records for these next two guys. I mean, they're a combined 28 and 3, so no slouches themselves. It's all about matchups and where that missed question comes. Let's get to know him once again. It's a 3 7 matchup in the West region between Alex. And Andrew, Alex, just 16 and 2. So, 
I don't know how how you weren't a higher seed coming into this tournament. I guess it's just all based off how far you made it. But knocking on the door, you made it to this round last year. What's it going to take to push through, beat that wall down, and get to the round of eight? I'm not sure. I put in the work in the offseason, and hopefully that's enough to push me through the next round. How familiar with your opponent are you? Uh, I listened to his last matchup. Gonna be uh it's gonna be a tight matchup here. Yeah, he's 10 and 0, Andrew, the seven seed. You got bounced early last year, Andrew, and you've come back with a vengeance here in 2021. 10 and 0 so far this year. Do you feel like you're on a roll or does the momentum have to be reset each round? You know, we just gotta make shots, uh pay attention to scouting report, and if we do those things then we got to put ourselves in good position to be successful. Andrew, have you talked to your brother at all during this run? I know he got bounced early in the first round. Um, he said at the time, and this was, I don't know if this was off the air or on the air. He said at the time he thought that his knowledge was maybe a little bit superior to yours. Have you guys had a back and forth at all? We talked about that. You know, he said he was, uh, you know, just trying to show confidence. But we're, I mean, we're, we're pretty darn close, I'd say. Okay. Well, I mean, you're still alive, so carrying on the family legacy here in the Sizzling 16. All right, guys, you know what's up for grabs. You see this RCSD hat? Well, you guys can see it. Our listeners can't see it. This baby. Adidas. Where's the Adidas logo? Right there, courtesy of River Rat Print and Skate. $40 to Hawaiian Bros, $25 to 23rd Street Brewery, an automatic entry into next year's contest. Everything's going to be the same from your first round matchup, guys. So no changes. Still four difficulty rounds. The questions will get harder as you guys get them right. You still have 30 seconds to answer. And we're still going to play you a five-second warning. When you hear this ticking sound, you got five seconds left. Get an answer off. Don't say nothing. Got a lot of people doing that. So just guess something. Give yourself a chance. All right. Andrew, as the seventh seed, you could choose between answering first or second. What's it going to be? We've spent a lot of time this week uh, trying to figure out um, which one of the, the first guy or the second guy you and Derek are trying to screw over. Right. Uh, so so uh, <laughs> we, we, we didn't really come to any definitive conclusion. So um, we've been going first the first two rounds, so we're going to stick with that. It's already been predetermined. It doesn't matter. The order doesn't matter. We've already decided ahead of time which one of you guys we, we like less. So it's there's yeah. nothing you can do about it now. Okay, so wait, what did you answer? You want to go first? We're, we're, stick, we're sticking with going okay. first. Okay, Alec. Andrew, let's do it, guys. 3-7 matchup in the West region. First question is for you, Andrew. What KU big man owns the first, second, fourth, fifth, ninth, tenth, and eleventh highest rebounding totals for a single game in KU basketball history despite only playing two years in the late 50s? Well... That is correct. Alex, question number one for you. Jeff Withy owns the KU record for most career blocks in conference play with 130 of them. Sitting one behind him at 129 career blocks in conference play is a big man who played from KU from 2000 to 2003. Who is he? Nick Collison. Nick Collison is correct. We move on to the next round of questioning, and we go back to you, Drew. 
Andrew, who led Kansas in scoring three straight seasons from 2006 to 2008? Brandon. Brandon Rush is correct. Alex, who led Kansas in scoring in back-to-back seasons in 2015 and 2016? That is correct. Perry Ellis. Kind of a forgotten name because he wasn't flashy and the team didn't really do much in the tournament. Okay, guys. What I expected. You guys knocked down the two easy ones. Yeah, exactly. It gets lost in time. Okay, guys. Here we go. Duking it out for a shot in the great eight. Alex and Andrew. We go back to Andrew now for question number three. Andrew, only one player from Roy Williams' final recruiting class at KU in 2003 was still on the team for the 2008 national title team. Who was it? That is correct. Jeremy Case, actually still here, never left. Still on the coaching staff, maybe getting a promotion this offseason. We'll see. Okay, Alex, back to you. Jeremy Case was one of five seniors on that 2008 team. He was joined by Sasha Khan, Darnell Jackson, Russell Robinson, and one other player. Who was the other senior on that 2008 team? Oh. We lost him. He froze out. <laughs> he wasn't moving when I asked the question. I was wondering. He's frozen in time. I, he- okay, so we'll, if you're okay with it, Andrew, we'll ask him the question. If not, we can give him a new one. I, tr- I trust Alex. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I it just I disconnected right after. Okay. So. All right. Okay, starting over. Alex, I'm asking you this question. You needed to move on. All right, here we go. Wow. Unprecedented here. Okay, Alex. Jeremy Case was one of five seniors on that 2008 team. He was joined by Sasha Khan, Darnell Jackson, Russell Robinson. Who was the final senior on that team? That'd be a walk-on. Is it Matt Kleinman? That is incorrect. Matt Kleinman was a junior on that team. Roderick Stewart. Roderick Stewart was the final senior on that team. So I don't know what all is gonna make it to air here, but here's what I will I what I will say is I get I get done asking that question. I look down. Alex is frozen out. Can't see him. A few seconds later, boom, gone. Andrew starts to ask, okay, I think I know. I don't think he knew it. And we didn't even know if Alex had heard it. Andrew, you thought you knew the answer. What was the answer that you gave while we were waiting for Alex to get back in? Yeah, I said Kleinman. I guess he was a, a junior. Yeah, so you guys both guessed Matt Kleinman. But Matt Kleinman, 
a junior in 08. It was Roderick Stewart, who was a senior. I think he had a really gruesome knee injury. Famously, yeah, had the bad injury, missed the title game. They had a big story about him in, in the, the layup pre-game. line. He's yeah. like kneecap yeah, shattered. Yeah. Uh, that's tough. That's tough circumstances, Alex, because you have technical difficulties. You get back in, have to sort of get yourself back. Do you, do you feel like the technical difficulties played a factor in your loss today? Um, maybe a little bit, but I don't think I was going to, I would have never guessed Roderick Stewart. I don't think. Yeah. Roderick Stewart was kind of uh, one of the forgotten players there on, on that game. Would you have gotten the Jeremy case question? I don't think I would have got that one either. Well, maybe that makes it feel a little bit better. Makes me feel better. At least you should take some solace in that as well. Andrew, you finally missed a question this year, but you're still able to forge ahead. Doesn't count to the record, though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It doesn't officially count, but it counts in my mind. I'll always remember that you missed that that exhibition one. That's like K State losing to Fort Hayes State in the in the preseason. But uh, <laughs> you're moving on, man. You're going to the Grade Eight where you're taking on another really strong competitor, Tate, who made it to the championship game last year. So, how you feeling ahead of that one? Well, we just need to get back to campus and have a good week of practice. And uh, you know, we know that Tate's going to be a a, a very formidable opponent, so we just got to, uh, you know, pay attention to the scouting report, and if we do that, we should have a good shot. That's right. Well, Andrew, we'll be happy to see you in the next round. Alex, once again, another great performance, another sizzling 16 performance. I know you've got a great eight in you because yeah, I know – One of these years. Well, I'll tell you what. There's some, there's some other contestants. I'm not going to name names. There's some other contestants. If you were going up against in this round, you're probably moving on. But Shots fired. I'm just saying – I'm just saying, like, you're probably one of the top eight guys, but you're not going to make it to the top eight. That's just the way the tournament works out. So kudos to you. Great job, Alex. Andrew, we'll see you in the next round. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Derek. Yep, thanks, guys. Have you still not heard MLS is back and Sporting Kansas City is back in action? After finishing first in the Western Conference last season, Sporting KC is back in action and hungrier than ever to paint the wall. The best part is you can watch Polito, Russell, Busio, and the rest of our boys in Sporting Blue live in a limited capacity crowd again this season. To attend a match in person, go to SeatGeek.com SKC and be sure to use code SKCRCST at checkout to receive an exclusive discount just for being a Rock Chalk Sports Talk listener. Again, use code SKCRCST at SeatGeek.com SKC before it's too late. That's a brutal way to go out. That's brutal. I can't imagine the technical difficulties didn't have uh, have an impact on that. But Alex did say he wouldn't have got the Jeremy Case one. I like that the 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 gamesmanship there by Andrew, who at first you, we cut some of it out there, but at first he said, "Oh no, he knew the answer and he and he turned it off." He said, "No, but I trust Alex. Let's ask him. Let's see what he says. Let's see him if he knew the answer." Yeah. So we get him back on. He goes, I don't even know what the question was. I'm like, do you believe him? Andrew goes, yeah, give him the question again. Because Andrew answered the question wrong. And I'm sure at that point, Andrew's thinking, if I can't get it right, he's not getting it right either. If I guessed Matt Kleiman, he's yeah. guessing Matt Kleiman too, which is exactly what happened. No, it was a risk. I mean, we had something similar happen last year. Last year, we were doing it by phone, and we had somebody drop out in the middle of, I think it was right after the, the question or in the middle of the question. So we just decided to scrap it. And we just moved on and asked a different question just in case they did hear it so they couldn't look it up when we were trying yeah. to get them back on the phone. So we were planning to do that for this. We were just going to ask a different question. But we left it up to Andrew because we said that's what we've done in the past. You know, we'll do it again. And he was like, no, you know what? 
that's a hard question. I want him to have that question. So he looked him in the eye and said, did you hear it? Alex said, no, he was trustworthy. And sure enough, the question bounced him out. Yep. Yeah, it did. That's a tough one, too, because you're thinking of guys who played on the team. Yeah. And he's not one. And then you're thinking of guys, well, who did I who do I remember from the celebration? Of course you remember Matt Kleiman. Of course everybody remembers Matt Kleiman from the celebration. You know why? Because he's a six ten ginger. So how are you gonna miss him? So they both guessed Kleiman. Kleiman was a junior on that team. Roderick Stewart, who was probably on the sideline in a massive air cast, or was he even on the sideline? You know, he's I mean? got to be what the most forgotten KU player that actually like helped accomplish something. Yeah, he he actually played. Like, right, he played on yeah. that team. He didn't put up like mega stats, but like he played like pretty much every game. So, I'm looking at the the updated list now, and it won't be a finalized. We'll send something out. Maybe we'll send out some next gen stats after our final two matchups. We have only have two matchups left: Tyler and Chris. Kyle and Andrew. And Kyle and Andrew, friends from college, have been going at it on Twitter. So I tried to start a blood feud last week. It worked. And we'll get to see that come to fruition tomorrow. But as it currently stands, most correct answers all-time RCST trivia history. Number one, Eric at 31. Number two, Isaac at 28. Number three, Tate at 24. Number four, Liam at 20. None of those should be any surprise because uh, they were all in the the. Uh, fabulous four last year. What is interesting is Liam, despite only making it to the round of 32 this year, still in the top four. Nobody else has surpassed him. Who's fifth on that list, though? Alex. Mm. He just went two and one in that matchup. That puts him at 18 and three lifetime. Alex is fifth all time in in answers, uh, correct answers, yet doesn't have even a great eight to show for it. Should we be bringing him up as? As a guy, like we do this when the NCAA tournament, we're like, yeah, they don't have the titles to show for it, but they're so consistent. Yeah, no, he is the perfect candidate. He's of, the Baylor. He's the Baylor up yeah, until this year. this year. Before this year. Before this year. Like, hey, you can't just solely judge a coach on their tournament resume. You know, judge him on the other stuff as well. Exactly. Judge him on consistency. Alex has it. Uh, like, eventually he'll break through. Yeah, so Steve Fetch, who got eliminated earlier against Andrew, also at 16. Kyle Martin, we're going to hear tomorrow, also at 16. Grant, who got eliminated in the first round this year at 16, which is pretty remarkable. And you got Andrew there at 15. Andrew could crack into that top five if he has some uh, some longer rounds and if he continues to to advance through it. But, I mean, he's got a tough match if he's going up against Tate. That could be a long one. I mean, Tate, yeah. okay, Tate has answered. We know Tate has the the long-term resume, but in terms of just this year, Tate hasn't really been tested. He's only had to answer six questions through three matches. So he was so eighteen and one coming into this yeah, year. So six he had been 0. tested, but this year hasn't been the case. He's six and zero. Oh. Could be a little rusty. Do you think there is a chance he answers as many questions or has to answer as many questions in the grade eight that he has all tournament so far? Yes. I mean that's that's prime time matchup. Yeah. That is that is the well, I guess they changed the schedule this year, but what is what is the most prime time one? Is it the Sunday? Afternoon one yeah. on CBS? Uh, probably. Probably. I think that's the matchup that goes there. And listen, man, there's no disrespect to Isaac or Ryan or Eric or Landon, but, I mean, Andrew has clearly emerged. He's with answered, some, what, three very hards? Yeah, more than anybody else in this tournament. So, uh, I'm not saying he's the best. I'm just saying he's emerging as must-watch. Mm-hmm. And that that's not, doesn't mean he's the best. He's just must-watch. Like, yeah. you're going to get in front of a television and watch this guy duke it out, especially considering the opponent. So, um 
That'll be an exciting one, but we still got two more. We have no idea what our matchup's going to be in the East region. Both those matchups are going down tomorrow, and then our field of eight will be set. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk.